I was going to wear one of my many uh, tweed coats this morning, but it's warm in here. We're still trying to figure out how to do the, the temperature. At least I'm warm. So uh, we'll get that adjusted. But, but welcome. Great to have you here. And by the clock at the back, it looks like we have plenty of time for a long message. It's only 10 o'clock. And, um, we're going to take uh, a little time out this Sunday from our normal series. We've been in the book of 1 Peter going through that, and we're nearing the end of chapter 1. And actually next week we get to hear from Chris Knowles. He's going to preach uh, on, I think, verses 21, 22, um, which uh, should be great. I, uh, he's actually uh, serving us with the Word, also serving me. I'll be at a class uh, this week uh, from uh, a theologian, Bible scholar on the book of John. So it should be a great class. So he's covering for me by preaching as well, and I'll be your worship leader next week. So thank you, Chris. We'll be back in the series. But for today, I, I thought we'd take some time to just think some things that are appropriate for this new situation. What a day today is. Here we are at the place uh, in Bradford, our first day, a new location. And it really is amazing for our guests. Uh, this is a fairly sudden opportunity that's come our way. Uh, six months ago, I know in the summer actually, I uh, gave a message on our mission and in, in that message at the end, I, I uh, brought up the idea that we probably need to start thinking about a building and preparing for that to help our mission, to further our mission. And, and I said, well, probably if we start to save as a church, perhaps by the year 2012, we might have, have a down payment to put on a building. So that was back in July. I looked that up, actually. And if you had told me at that point in time that, well, actually within six months or so, uh, you're going to be in a new location, I would have laughed probably and probably would have made a wisecrack about I might as well play the lottery too with those sort of odds. But here we are. Here we are, and God's provided for us, yes. A wonderful new facility and God's blessing to us. And it is certainly appropriate today just to celebrate just to be aware of God's kindness to us, to give us this wonderful facility that will really bless us and help us to accomplish uh, God's purposes. Uh, so it's, it's appropriate. I don't know how you have felt this morning worshiping, but I have been somewhat overwhelmed, just aware of His kindness. And as we've sung these wonderful songs, uh, just all the more excited about what God's going to be doing. So I think it's appropriate to celebrate. It's also a good time, though, to contemplate a little bit, to think about, God, what are you doing? How do you see this new facility? What do you think about it? And I think God is right there with us. Uh, he is compassionate. He's, a, he's a, a gracious God. He is enjoying that we're enjoying being here. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also want to know, what are his thoughts? What, God, do you think about this building? What, are, what do you have in mind? Besides the joy of today, what are the things you are thinking about? And that's really where I want to go this morning, because uh, God does have thoughts, and He's a God that loves to communicate, so He's given us His Word. He's given us the Bible to communicate His heart and mind. He's not left us alone to figure those sort of questions out. Uh, he's, he's caring and gracious. So we're going to look at the Word of God and what the Word says about church building. We're going to look at what the Bible says about church building. What are, is the biblical theology? What does the whole Bible uh, teach? What are the themes in the Bible about church buildings? 
Before we do that, though, uh, we're going to kind of move through a number of scriptures. Before we do that, let's just pray, because we want to hear from God this morning. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and goodness to us that you love to communicate to us through your word. And we ask you, Father, to be here with us and speak to us. Lord, I pray you would grant me power to serve you and your people. Thank you for the blood and righteousness of Christ. And by him alone, we can hear you and be with you. And we look forward to what you're going to say to us today. So come, come Holy Spirit, and accomplish the desire of the Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you guys think about what the Bible says about buildings, what sort of things come to mind? Is there any, any building in the Bible that pops into your brain first off? The temple. Yes, the temple. Same here. That's a, as I thought about that, that was the first thing that popped into my mind is the temple, that, that building uh, that was first a tent, the tabernacle, when they were in the desert, and later was a permanent building in the middle of Jerusalem. And the temple in the Bible is the place where God dwelt amidst His people. It's where He manifested His presence amidst His people. And we see in the Old Testament there was this pillar of fire by night and cloud by day and God abided there. His glory was on that tabernacle. And later on when they built this permanent facility of the temple, when they first dedicated the temple in Second Chronicles 5, I think we have some of these verses, they dedicated the temple. It says the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So, So not only did He manifest His presence and His glory in the tabernacle, but when they dedicated the temple, God manifested His presence there. His glorious presence dwelled in the temple. It was also a place for prayer. Jesus called it a house of prayer for all nations. So it was a place where God's people gathered to pray. And the temple building proper that held the holy place and the holy of holies outside that were courts. And in some of those larger courts, people gathered to pray. And they're actually very large areas. So it was a house of prayer. And we know in the temple proper was a place for atonement. The, the courts right outside the building was where they sacrificed animals. And inside was where God Himself dwelt. And they, and they sprinkled the blood once a year. So it was a place of atonement because God is good and holy. And loving. He loves, he loves the Trinity. There's love amidst the Trinity that's perfect. He loves others perfectly. There's no sin or fault in Him. And if He's going to dwell in our midst, He has to deal with the reality of who we are. That our natural propensity is not to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not to love our neighbors as ourselves. Though we know those things are right, our natural propensity is to run from that to hide from that and perhaps cover the fact that we don't do that with religious actions or so forth. And so God has made the temple, made the temple as a place of atonement to, to deal with sins, to put away His just and holy punishment and wrath towards sin. So the place of the temple was a place where God would meet with mankind. They would pray, but where atonement would be made. Where He would manifest His presence. Where there would be worship. That's what goes on in the temple. Well, as we think about church buildings, can we say that this building somehow is a continuation of the, the analog or the type of the temple? Is this building meant to be like the temple 
the place where we pray and the house of prayer, the place where atonement's made somehow or where God manifests His presence in this actual building. Can we say that? How do we, how do we know? Well, church history would in many ways confirm that. The actual word church comes through Germanic and from the Greeks and their word, they took, it's a contraction of two words, kyrios and oikos, which means, kyrios means the Lord and oikos means house. You put those together, you get kirk, which is actually the Scottish name, kirk, which means church, and then you get church in English. So the Lord's house, that's where the word comes from. And the history of the Western church is that, that yes, indeed, this is the Lord's house. This is where God dwells in this building. And, and so much of Christian history is running on that theme. So large cathedrals are built, beautiful buildings, and, and they are, they are truly beautiful, built to be the Lord's house, the place where God dwells. And we certainly want to be respectful and listen to history humbly. We don't want to kind of be reinventing things. We want to be wise enough to listen to history and consider this. But ultimately, our source of truth about the church and all these things is ultimately the Word of God. So what does the Word of God say? Is the modern day church building a type of the temple? I know many of you know your Bibles really well and you've got this answer already. The, that the ultimate type of the temple actually is not... Is, uh, the continuation of the temple or the fulfillment of the temple is not the modern day church building but a person. Jesus Christ is the ultimate temple and the tabernacle and the temple were actually pointing forward to a person pointing forward to Christ. He is the ultimate type. So in John 2, he has this interaction. We have this verse, I believe. John 2, there's this interaction with some authorities. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? He was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the Scripture and the Word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus presents Himself as the ultimate temple. He even says in Matthew 12, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Speaking of Himself. I am here. I am greater than the temple. And Hebrews teaches us that the law, the Old Testament, was but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, Christ is the fulfillment of the temple. Christ came as the place where God would dwell amidst His people. He tabernacled with us in the person of Christ and continues to do that. It's in Christ we encounter the living God. Where we meet with God, we fellowship with God. It's in Christ where atonement is made. Propitiation is made for our sins. They are put away. The the wrath of God, the justice of God is dealt with so that the love of God can come and invite us into His presence, in the person of Christ. It is in Christ and in fellowship with Christ that there is truly prayer for all nations. Even this morning as we come together and worship and pray, there is prayer and worship in all the nations of the earth through Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the temple. And we learn in Scripture that that by extension, the body of Christ, the people of God, are the temple. We belong to Christ. We are, 
we are mysteriously and wonderfully united with Christ. He lives in us each, every believer, anyone who has turned, repented of sin, and put their faith in Christ. He dwells in you. And He dwells amongst us corporately. And so this, the temple now is Christ, is His people. So Ephesians 2 says, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And Paul's speaking corporately of the church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So the New Testament evidence seems very clear that the Old Testament temple, the continuation is Christ and through Christ His people. Lives, not wood and plaster and structure, as good as that stuff might be. It's the people of God. So, are we just left without any building knowledge? Does the Bible now leave us? Oh no, you know, there, I heard of a man who, who learned about this stuff and decided and heard about how the, the early church, the the New Testament church didn't meet in regular buildings, and so he decided, I, I need to leave my church and just meet in somewhere else. So are we just left on the street as a result? Since the Bible says the temple is Jesus and his people, so we just need to be his people. We can gather out on the street. Yes, and that's true, but we're not left with that. There, there are truths in the, the Scripture that help us. There is actually another example in the New Testament of a church building. We see it used throughout the New Testament. Anyone have a guess? Yeah, some of, some of you know. The upper room. The upper room in Scripture in many ways is a picture of the modern day church building. It's a picture of, of how a building is rightfully used for God's purpose. Not the temple, but the upper room. So let's use the remainder of our time just to take a little journey to look at this upper room. Look at this room in Scripture and how it was used by God and, and how it functioned in the church. And we're doing this not just because it's cool information, but ultimately I believe God wants to inform us of how to regard this facility. I believe that the upper room is a picture, a pattern for us in how we look at this building, how we use this building, how we think of this building. And I trust will continue to be so for generations, that we would define our use based on the pattern of the upper room. So, if you could journey with me, the first place in Scripture we see the upper room is, is as they prepare the Passover. So Luke 22, I think we have we can show. And you guys may know this story. As they prepared to celebrate the Passover, the, the Last Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we celebrated today. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered a city, the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. 
And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Can you imagine being Peter and John? Lord, where do you want us to do this Passover? Well, go into the city and you'll see this guy carrying a water jar. That was usually women carried water jars, so it was somewhat of an unusual thing. You'll see a guy carrying a water jar. Follow him and go do this. And but they, they know enough at this point. They've been through the loaves and the fishes, right? And Lord, you know, when Jesus says we're going to prepare a meal and he ends up doing it, they know enough not to say, but, but huh? We don't have any place. They say, Lord, what do you want us to do? We'll do it. And so they do it. And God provides this upper room. It's just the right place. It's a large upper room. It, it's large enough to fit all the 12 disciples probably, well, it is large enough for them, plus the whole band, because it wasn't just the twelve. There was a whole band that followed Jesus, men and women included. And it was a much larger group, as large as 120 people. We don't know if they all were there that first night, but it was large enough for all that. It was prepared ahead of time. It was already furnished. It was already prepared for them. And all they had to do was simply follow the Lord. And follow the Lord's instructions. We don't know how God arranged it. It could, have, it could have been anything. It could have been that the Lord had a conversation. Jesus maybe knew the owner and had already talked and arranged things and, and said, you know, I'll be sending my guys later and when they come, if you could just show them what to do. could have been. could have been that the Lord spoke to the, the owner in a dream. Today, there will be these two guys who will meet you as you go get water and you know, do, uh, give the room to them. It might have been, I don't know, it could have been that they had already prepared the room for themselves and, and when Peter and John came and asked, they just felt prompted, I, I, it must be Jesus, let's do this. We don't know. But the Lord knew and the Lord prepared. The Lord knew what was ahead. The Lord had a perfect place for them to use for the Last Supper. He had this upper room. Folks, this building is our upper room. Six months ago, we really didn't know that would be here. We didn't know what it would look like. We didn't know what the space would be like. We didn't, we didn't really know. I knew a little bit about the building. I don't know if I had ever been in here before. But the Lord knew. And our objective as a church has been, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to do what you want. We'd want to be, we want to respond to you and what you have for our lives. And he has said, go this way. And this place will be prepared. And here we are in our upper room it is a wonderful place. Can you imagine the, the Lord's thoughts back last summer as I said those things from the pulpit, 2012, and, and then just, I don't know, his smile and a chuckle. Yeah, we'll see, buddy, about 2012. How about 2009? He knew. He's our God. He's the provider of that upper room for the Passover evening. He's the provider of this place. It's His doing. This is ultimately His building, as all things are His. He's the one who's given it to us, prepared. He's the one who will sustain us here and promote His purposes through us. And I want us to remember what He's done. Remember how this has happened. And to tell our kids, and perhaps they'll even tell their kids, you want to hear the story of how this happened? The church back then didn't have much resources. They didn't know. They thought it would take them five or more years to have even just a down payment. And God arranged these things and these things happened and these wonderful terms came and God made it possible and God gave His people a heart amidst a severe recession to give and to believe. And they did. And God provided for this building. Let our children tell that story. 
And let God get the glory. Just as He said to Peter and John, do this and you'll have a room. He has led us. He has blessed us. He has used us and given us hearts to give and hearts to labor. This place actually has been transformed in many ways in the past few weeks as God's people not only have sacrificially given, but sacrificially painted, cleaned, and otherwise. Thank God for this upper room. Thank God for this first Lord's Supper that we celebrated today. It's appropriate on our first day here to do that. May there be thousands more Lord's Suppers that we celebrate here. May there be many, many lives that are affected as we encounter the living God, as we celebrate communion together. May there be faces that we have no clue about right now that are, end up being with us, are blessed here, encounter the living God as He dwells, not in a building per se, but amidst His people as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the place He has prepared. It's interesting, in, in Scripture, the accent isn't on the upper room, is it? The accent on that interact, well, the further, next interaction in the Lord's Supper is the Lord and His disciples. If there were Academy Awards given out for what was going on on that evening, the leading role award would go to Jesus, right? The best supporting actress would go to the church, the disciples. Would the upper room get an award? Would it be really featured? At the Academy Awards, those are kind of like the obscure awards, right? Nothing against those people who do that, but it would get maybe best set. But it's not going to be featured. Jesus and His church is the feature there. There is an upper room. It facilitates the purposes of God, but it's really just a supporting background. This building, as good as it is, that's all it will ever be. As its best will merely be something that facilitates the action of the Lord and His people. This upper room in Scripture continues actually to be used. Uh, If you follow the storyline in the Scriptures, uh, they continue to use it. In Acts chapter 1, when the Lord Lord, uh, commissions them and ascends, they go back to Jerusalem and they go to the upper room. I think we have that verse. I won't read it all, but it says that, that they came to the upper room. They entered, went up to the upper room, and, and they all were there. And it says in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. They gathered in this upper room. They continued to meet there, the whole, the whole gang there, and they were of one accord. What it must have been like for them at that moment. I mean, they they really didn't have much of a clue. They had somewhat of a clue about what the Lord was going to do. And their their Savior dies on the cross. The Messiah dies. And they are bewildered by that. And then three days later, He rises from the dead. Then He starts to show up in the upper room. He meets them. And and they encounter Him. And then he, He explains what it was all about. The cross for the purposes of God, the justice of God, the forgiveness of sins, and the kingdom. And He... And he, he is with them for a while. Then He commissions them to go and make disciples of all nations. Go, guys, and make followers of all nations. So they're, they're just overwhelmed, I imagine, by what's going on. And, and then the Lord tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. This promise of being filled with the very presence of God for His purposes. They are to wait. So they're of one accord because their eyes are fixed on Jesus. And what He's doing and going to do. That's what brings unity, by the way. It's always the Lord when we focus on Him. So they're of one accord. Their hearts are full and they're praying. 
They're praying a lot there in that upper room. They're, they're gathering in that large upper room. And the room was probably in a wealth, the wealthy section of Jerusalem because it, in order to be that large, it usually was a wealthy person's house. We learn later on, we'll, we'll visit this, that it looks like it was John Mark's family, the Mark of the Gospel, uh, that owned this, this room. And it was near the, the tomb of David. So uh, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit gets poured out, they pour out of the house, and they're on the street, and Peter preaches a message. And what does he feature in that message? But David, doesn't he? And, and probably they think, uh, they think the original home was right there across from the tomb of David in, in Jerusalem. Uh, and so it's this large room that serves them, and they meet there to pray, uh, to seek the Lord together as they are, are blessed by, by the things the Lord is doing. And the storyline continues. They continue to, to meet there and pray to seek the Lord together in this, this large upper room that serves them so well. These upper rooms were really the best rooms in the house. And they were usually on the roof of a house. So that's why they call the upper room. So you'd go up to the upper room. There was a set of stairs usually on the outside of the house to go to it. It usually was your guest room. So it would have been a large room, maybe... A I'm guessing a third of the size of this room. So they packed people in there. Um, they didn't have chairs like we have. They would just pack them in there. And so they met in this room to pray. They met in this room to seek the Lord. And on the day of Pentecost, they are seeking God in that place, in one accord. And the Spirit of God comes sweeping in like a hurricane into that room as God's people gather. Powerfully poured out on each one of them Tongues of fire rest on their heads. They start to speak in tongues and proclaim the wonders of God as they experience the promised baptism of the Spirit. And they pour out of that place. And you know the story that people are wondering, what's going on? I hear all these languages that particular day. There were people from all around the Roman world, Jews from all around the world. They hear them speaking in their own tongues the wonders of God. And the group gathers. And Peter preaches the first sermon of the church there in front of that tomb as the, the disciples are there and, and people are cut to the heart as he proclaims Christ. And 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Wonderful prayer-born activity of God from that upper room. And you can follow the story along about the upper room. It continues to be a featured place to gather to pray. If you turn to chapter 12 in the book of Acts, you'll see some more things going on. And you can put this verse up, Acts chapter 12. This is about 10 years or more later. And what's happened is Herod is now the king. And, and it's another Herod, the grandson of the one that uh, slaughtered the innocents. And... And it says, uh, we won't read the entire passage, it says, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Peter was put in prison. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They actually gathered in that upper room and probably gathered throughout Jerusalem as well to pray. It's an a interesting story. You can read it, the whole thing later. What happens is an angel comes and, and comes next to Peter and touches his chains and they break off and, and leads him out. And Peter doesn't realize it's really happening. He thinks it's a vision or something and, uh, until he's out on the street and he realizes, wow, what's happened? And 
Uh, it says that actually. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, Get up quickly. And we go to the next, next part. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. He said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so he went out, and he finally realized it was real. And he says, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying in this upper room. And it's somewhat of an interesting story. He knocks on the gate, and Rhoda, the servant, uh, thinks, well, actually doesn't think it's Peter. thinks it's his angel or something like that. And there's this kind of an interesting interaction. He keeps on knocking. He continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. They finally let him in, realized it's Peter. And there he was, free. Wonderful story. The point is that this room continues to be featured in the church. This is ten or more years later after the original use. So they continued to use the room. This upper room served them well as a church. God did wonders. They, they prayed in this place again and again. They met to pray. It facilitated their prayers. And think about the impact of their meetings in that upper room. The impact of their prayers. How many people were affected by their prayers. How many people were rescued from a life apart from God, from their sins? How many people were healed? How many people changed forever? How many lives transformed? How many folks tasted and saw that the Lord is good through what went on in that upper room? God used that place to accomplish much, but it was the prayers of God's people as they gathered in that upper room. One thing that I anticipate for this upper room is that it will be a place to facilitate prayer as a church. That God would, through the prayers of His people as we gather here, do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. That there would be thousands, and that's what I'm asking God for, thousands of lives affected through this church. Thousands of lives. Thousands of people affected by the truth of God. Their lives changed, that they would find Christ, that they would grow in Christ, that they would shine for Christ as a result of the prayers in this place. That even, and I'm asking for this too, that the nations would be blessed through this church as it meets here to pray. Just 300 yards down the road is another church. And 200 years ago or so, some people met there. And there was a meeting that was born of a prayer meeting actually that had gone on some years before out in Western Mass. It was a group of people, a group of pastors in the area and very young, ambitious men. And they met in this place to talk about going overseas to preach the Gospel in an age when there wasn't much work going on overseas. And if you guys know the story, the, the, the most prominent among those young men was a man named Adam Niram Judson and his soon-to-be wife, Anne Heseltine, from up the street. And he was sent by that group 200 years ago to Burma with his wife in an age when they really didn't know what they were doing on the mission field. And as a result of his sacrificial labor, born of prayer initially, millions of Burmese have come to know Jesus Christ and had their lives transformed. Millions of Burmese. Today, they still use the same Bible, I believe, that Adoniram Judson translated back then for them. And more than that, more than the millions of Burmese, the church of God in America was stirred up by that action. He was the first foreign missionary sent from the United States. And his example, a young man who laid down his life, and he did, he 
lost three wives, two wives, three wives actually, three wives, through that experience, many children. Through his example and his sacrifice, the church in America was stirred up and started to send missionaries overseas. So let us not underestimate what God might do through the prayers of his people here. We're not doing that for a boast. We don't know. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. We know that. I know that well enough, but God can do anything. And as this upper room is used for prayer, may God more than answer all our prayers. So the upper room is a place of prayer. This place is to be a place of prayer, Lord willing, as well. So prayer in the presence of God is an important part of the upper room. There's something else to notice in, as we follow the storyline in Scripture about this upper room. If you looked in Luke 22, um, there's something else that goes on. We won't read that whole passage. But, but on that night that they celebrated the Passover, there was a dispute that arose among them as to who was the greatest among them. Here is this holy night. Jesus is getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pour out His heart in prayer and and to die the next day. And His disciples are bickering over who is the greatest among them. And Alfred Edersheim, the historian and theologian, proposes that this squabble came about as they came into the upper room. Because the upper room was arranged for a Passover and it would have been arranged in a U-shaped table. I think, Brendan, there's a picture that you can show there. It would have been arranged in a U-shaped table. And this, the seats of honor were on the right and left of the guest of honor, who was Jesus. And so as these guys came into this room, it looks like they scrambled for the seats of honor like middle school kids on the school bus, running to get the best seats and squabbling over who gets to sit where and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, the ultimate kingdom. They're squabbling over that. And the full story, we know, continues. Jesus' response to them is John 13. As they squabble over who is the greatest, Jesus gets up from His place of honor and takes the lowest place in that room. He takes off His outer garment, dresses like a slave, and begins to wash their feet. That was the the role of the very lowest of the lowest servants in the house. And no one had been willing to do that role. They were too occupied with who got to sit in the seat of honor. And so Jesus humbles Himself. He responds to the bickering and the squabbling by lowering Himself. The, the, the most important, the most glorious one in that room, the most powerful one, the one most worthy of attention and honor, lowers Himself. The eternal holy God, who is glorious and infinite, lowers Himself and washes the feet of His disciples and calls them to the same. There is no one like Him in humility. We'll never approach His humility. But He calls us to the same. And what is of interest for us is that they weren't squabbling until they got in the upper room. When they got in that upper room and all of a sudden there was some turf, there was some physicality to things, there was a geography to negotiate, it was at that point that they started to squabble. It was at that point that what was in them already, in their hearts, their pride, their desire for selfish things, it was when they had something physically to arrange that those things came out. 
as we come to this building, you may find things coming out of your heart that you weren't aware of. The squabble didn't come because of the seating arrangements. It wasn't the fault of the guy who made the U-shaped table. The squabble came from within. Scripture teaches us sin, conflict, complaining, dissatisfaction. Those things, rebellion against God, come from within, not without. It happened to them. It's going to happen to us too. If it hasn't already happened already. Teams that have been here working already. (laughs) If it hasn't happened already, it will happen. Those things are within us. And the first thing is just not to be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you find yourself wanting the chairs to be a particular color. And when somebody else says, no, I want burgundy and you want brown, and all of a sudden that person is the worst enemy in the world to you, don't be surprised. When the children's room gets painted bright yellow or is bright yellow and it stays bright yellow versus what you want, don't be surprised. Those things are within. That's the first thing. Don't be surprised and recognize they come from within, not without. Let us not blame the person who painted it yellow. Let us not blame the person who picked the chairs to be red or whatever color they might be. Let us blame ourselves. This striving is from within, not without. And isn't God good to give us a place to show our hearts, to test what's within? It's good of God. Because then we ought to recognize, you know what, Lord? I'd say I'm for your kingdom, but the reality is I'm for myself and I want to use your kingdom to promote my agenda. How sad that is. How glad I am that I have a Savior who died for my sins, who loves me. And when there was turf to grab, He gave it away. He lowered Himself and washed the feet of His disciples. And that's the second part. Let us respond. When those impulses are there, and they've been in my heart, when those impulses are there, let us respond by lowering ourselves and washing feet. Let us take our, our perspective and our opportunity to say, how can I serve you? How can I serve the whole body? It's not about me. I don't care if the, the chairs are psychedelic. If that's what serves the body and God's purposes, Amen. Let that, that, let that be our heart. Let us wash each other's feet. Buildings can be the death of a church. And it's when we don't deal with this issue rightly that they become the death of the church. You can look in history and see it. Jonathan Edwards' church in part imploded because there was a fight over assigned seating. Who got to sit where? Give your seats away. Let the guests sit in the best seats. I know we're creatures of habit. I sit here usually and everyone else kind of sits in the same place. Let us wash each other's feet and give the best seats away. Let us serve His kingdom purposes to be like our Savior. That's what I've sought to do as I've been tempted. And um, I've, I've just realized, you know what, Lord? I want this building for You and Your people. And so part of our design of having teams and team leaders for the, the decorating team, the painting team, cleaning team, is my desire to say, guys, I want to serve you. I want the church to be served. And it's a good thing that I've done that because this building would not look as good as it does if I had, if I had lorded it over all these areas. You guys have done a fantastic job picking colors out, furniture out, and so forth. Let us have that attitude. Let us wash each other's feet 
as Jesus did in that upper room. One more point and then we'll finish. This building, this upper room, served another purpose for the early church. It was their mission base. It looks like the upper room continued to be the place where the disciples gathered. We don't know for sure, but it looks that way. And as people came to consult the apostles and so forth, it perhaps was in that very upper room. But we know very quickly they outgrew that room. Right? The day of Pentecost, how many people were added to the church? 3,000. A little bit, little bit too many to fit in that room, right? Very quickly they outgrew the room. So, so the purposes of God were not in that upper room. The mission was not in that upper room. They weren't trying to get those 3,000 people all in that room. Oh, we're going to have 25 services in that upper room on Sundays to get all 3,000 in that room. No. They used that room as the mission base. The mission was not inside those four walls. The mission, folks, is not inside these four walls. The mission is out there. What God wants to do is work in the lives out there. And when He has His way, there's no way we're going to fit in here. This will just be a mission base at best. It will be a place to meet and to train. And yes, there's much we can do here. We, we hope to do Alpha and Exploring Christianity. We hope to do seminars for, for parenting and finances and things like that. Uh, we, we hope to do mercy ministries here. Yes, there are things we're going to do through here, but we'll, we'll never fit the folks that God has in mind in this building. The upper room didn't serve that purpose. It was a place where they met to pray. It was a place where they met to lead the church as God did wonders, adding thousands upon thousands to that church. Within five miles of this location, there are 100,000 people. Over 33,000 homes within five miles of here. With over 33,000 families and many of those people, we don't know many of them, but many of those people are desperate and lost. There are marriages struggling. Marriages without hope. There are, there are parents of teens who are just beside themselves wondering, what can, what can we do with our son or daughter who was so sweet recently and now is just lost and broken? There are thousands of families around here who don't know the love, the forgiveness, and the purpose of Christ. They don't know. And I don't know how they navigate through life. I couldn't do it without Christ. The reality is they can't either. They might be able to cover it and make it through, but they can't. Within five miles, there's all this and more. Jesus, when He saw the crowds, it says in Matthew 9.36, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Folks, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. The problem is not with the harvest. There are 100,000 folks right near here who, who know they're needy and are ready perhaps to hear the Gospel. The problem is not with the harvest. It's with the laborers. This building is about raising laborers up for the harvest. This building is about training and preparing and growing so that we as God's people might live on mission 24-7. That when we're living the rest of the week, we're only going to be in here a few hours a week. Any of us, I'll be here the most, but we're not going to be in here all that much. 
It's out there where we'll be. So the purpose of this building is a mission base to train and equip and encourage and help us that we might be on mission out there. Just as it was with the upper room. If the band could come up as we close. God did amazing things in the early church through that upper room. God used that facility to help the church, to assist the church for the presence, encountering the presence of God. To assist the church in prayer. To be a mission base for the church. To accomplish His purposes in and through that church. And He did wonderful things. I believe God has the same things in mind here. That's what we started out with. Our question is, God, how do you think about this building? We've just looked at how God thinks about this building, I believe. May we think that way about this building. May it be our heart's desire, Lord, we want Your purposes. We want the mission through this building to be accomplished. We want prayer. We want to encounter Your presence. But this is just the upper room. It's just a building to facilitate all this. May He have His way. May He get the glory as He uses our new church facility. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are very thankful. We are very thankful for this building. It is a blessing and there's joys here, Lord. Even just think about the stained glass and how much I like that. There's things like that for us to enjoy. You would have us enjoy. But Lord, bigger and better than that is the blessing that this building gives us in propelling us in Your call to be Your church as Your people. And we dedicate this facility together in one accord to these purposes, O God. To prayer. To encountering Your presence. To, Lord, the the propagation of the Gospel. The propagation of Your love and truth to the thousands upon thousands around us. We dedicate this building as Your people together. In Jesus' name, Amen.